Section four of Mrs. Diamond. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Mrs. Diamond by Anne Isabella Thackeray Ritchie. Book one, chapter four. Tell me why Susanna's fair. Making a poet out of a man. The true gods sigh for the cost and pain. E. B. Browning The colonel, meanwhile, had passed a good night. He woke up thinking with pleasure of the chance by which he had been able to come to the help of this worthy couple. Marney made too much of a very simple action, but, after all, gratitude was a rare commodity. The colonel had written a letter to his children, in which he had tried by dignity of language to conceal what some people might deem weak compliance. It is often difficult to tell why one does one thing more than another, or to realize what slight impulses drive the whole fabric of existence in one or another direction. A chance question or association, one person or another coming into the room, trifles scarcely to be weighed in the balance of daily life, seemed to lead to such unexpected conclusions. It was the tone of Mrs. Marney's voice, more than anything she had said, which had brought conviction to the colonel. He went back to his comfortable room, sat down in his armchair, re-read his letters with great deliberation, and all the time he seemed to hear her plaintive voice. Others may do their best, but it isn't the same. The colonel was a serious man, who always took things seriously. He paused for a minute, and then he began to write. My dear Tempe, I was painfully surprised by the contents of your letter of the 24th, which I have received only this evening. You write, my dear girl, as if you were not aware that my chief object in life must be to promote my children's welfare, as far as in my power lies. My health required change, and I hoped it might have been a pleasant arrangement for all parties, for you and your brother, as well as for your aunts, if I asked Bolsover to receive you both during my absence. That this arrangement should have resulted in dissatisfaction on your part greatly disappoints me. Your aunts are not aware of your painful feelings and write of you both with the warmest affection. They are very superior women. Your poor mother had the highest opinion of them and of your uncle Bolsover. I should be indeed grieved if any estrangement arose in your minds towards such near relations. After some deliberation I have come to the conclusion that it will be best, under the circumstances, that you should not wait for my return, which may be delayed, and that you and your brother should join me here. A better acquaintance with French will be of use to Joe when he goes to the university. I am writing to your Aunt Caroline by this post to tell her of my change of plans, and giving no special reason beyond my protracted stay at Paris. My present landlady, Madame de Parc, has not room to take you in, but a suitable apartment will easily be found. I need not add that I should not require you either to scrub or to live upon dry bread, though I have less pleasure in welcoming you, my dear child, than I might have had if you had earned this treat, as I think I may call it, by cheerful acquiescence in my wishes. Nevertheless, it will be a real pleasure to me to have you with me again, and I trust that no more occasion for complaint will arise, either on your part or that of your affectionate father, John Diamond. P.S. I am sorry for poor Charles's troubles. A young man cannot be too careful in the choice of his associates. 
I have no doubt that it is a wise plan to remove him at once from evil influences. Let us hope his muse will not permanently suffer from the loss of the verses. The colonel was pleased with his composition, and had taken it to the post, and was coming back in a cheerful, well-satisfied frame of mind when, to his surprise, he met Mrs. Marney, whom he imagined far away on her way to Paris, quietly walking under her big sunshade up the village street with her little boys on either side of her. She was dressed in black, she was carrying a letter, she looked very pale, but she suddenly flushed crimson when she saw him, and stopped short, waiting for him to come up to her. "'Not gone,' said the colonel. "'I thought you were off this morning, early.' "'No, Marnie is gone,' she said, faltering and very much agitated. "'He could not—we could not—oh, Colonel Diamond, how can I explain? "'There was so much to be done, more than I can tell you, more than I knew of yesterday. "'I gave up my share. It has been a cruel disappointment.' "'And her eyes filled up. "'He is gone, alone. He will bring her back to me.' "'Then she said, "'Don't think me ungrateful.' Please say this much, though I feel as if we had ill-requited your goodness. And she stood confused, and with her beautiful eyes cast down, she did not seem able to face the colonel's gaze. Colonel Diamond was easily led, but he was also a strict-minded man, and he answered dryly, for he was disappointed. I am sorry you were not able to carry out the purpose for which I advanced that small sum, Mrs. Marney. It was intended for your convenience. You owe me no account." And then, without another word, he walked stiffly away along the hot, sunshiny road, while poor Mrs. Marney, still holding the boys in each hand, passed on, chilled and with a heavy heart. Poor soul! For her was the shame, for her the bitter disappointment and the brunt of opinion. It seemed to her like some dream of something that had happened before. Mary, during all those hours, saw that the Colonel avoided her more and more. When she met him in the garden, he wished her a cold good morning, and went on his way, instead of establishing himself by her side as he had done hitherto. The poor soul felt as guilty as if she herself had been to blame, as if it were her fault that her husband had failed her. She had little by little grown to confide in her new friend, and she missed him sorely. When she met his averted looks, it gave her a pain in her heart. She felt as if Mick was more to blame in some way because the colonel was angry, and once— Seeing him turn up a side-path to avoid her, she sent the little boys running after him to beg him to wait. He waited, and allowed her to come up to him. He could not help admiring her, even then, vexed as he was. She looked so beautiful, so beseeching, as she advanced along the straggling little walk. "'I can't bear it any longer, Colonel,' she said, half laughing, but bitterly in earnest." You have been such a true, kind friend that your displeasure is a load on my heart. That is all I want to say. Believe me, I would have given twenty pounds, twenty times over had it been mine, that this should not have occurred. He was somewhat mollified, but he did not quite relent. You owe me no account, he repeated. It was all she could get from him, and yet she was glad she had tried to set matters right, when next day he came once more and walked by her side for a few minutes, talking more like himself. Mary, too, was more like herself. "'I have heard from them,' said Mrs. Marney, with a happy face. "'They will be here this morning. Madame, I am expecting my daughter.' "'So much the better,' says Madame dryly. "'I hope she will not behave in the way everybody else does and change her mind at the last.' 
Madame, too, had frozen ever since that unlucky night when Mrs. Marney had taken back her fifty francs and given up her journey so mysteriously. But an hour or two later, when the travellers arrived, Mrs. Marney's delight and happiness were irresistible. This was no culprit asking forgiveness, but a proud and happy woman claiming their sympathy. Mrs. Marney met them at the gate where the railway omnibus stopped in the sunshine, and then the mother and daughter were tight clasped in one another's arms. Madame was at her window. Colonel Diamond was smoking under the acacia tree as the Marneys passed by. He thought he had rarely seen a prettier sight than the little procession. The mother and daughter were walking arm in arm, looking so entirely united and one that he wondered that they could ever have been apart. He thought the girl looked perfectly charming. She had a certain prim, delicate grace in place of her mother's somewhat easy-going manner. She was sad, and her black dress told its story. She was dusty and tired after her night's journey. But all this could not alter her sweet triumph of girlhood. Her complexion was dazzling, her bright eyes were alight. She was looking up with that perfect trust and reliance which a child feels for its parent, and the mother was gazing into her sweet face with the proud confidence a mother feels in her child. I do not know that these two loved each other more than most mothers and daughters, but their often partings and long separations made their feelings more evident when they met at last. "'Here she is, Colonel Diamond,' said Mrs. Marney, stopping short when she saw him. "'Susie knows all your kindness to me.' "'I am very proud to be so introduced,' said the Colonel, with a smile and a bow. And so Susanna had got her wish, and was at home, and Mary Marney could watch her with loving eyes as the girl came and went about the place. It filled the elder woman with strange pride and delight to see how pretty her child was grown, how charming she was in all her ways. Sometimes when Mary smiled at her and Susie smiled back, the two faces looking at each other might have been the same face softened and reflected in the waters of a pool. A sudden brightness would come into the girl's eyes as she met her mother's look, and she nodded with a pretty little spontaneous gesture. She was a little sallow and sleepy when she was not speaking, but then again, when the people she cared for came to her and the things she liked, her face would light up and her eyebrows would arch into new expression. She seemed a different person, touched to a different life. The mother was the handsomer of the two, but she had not the sweet expressions and tones of the young girl. This was the conclusion Colonel Diamond came to next day when he met them all in the garden as usual. After a very few minutes' talk, so it seemed to him, Miss Susie started up and announced that she was going down to the village with Mikey and Dermot. "'Are you going down to the village again, Susie?' said the elder lady. "'You must be tired. You have been about all day, and all yesterday you were traveling.' "'I'm not a bit tired, Mama," said the girl. "'I wish you would come with us.' "'I can't come. I—' I have some letters to write, said Mrs. Marney, who had as yet tried to conceal from her daughter some of the makeshifts of the establishment. You have always got letters, Mamma," said Susie, smiling. Who do you write to? The mother sighed and then smiled. She was, in truth, an impatient woman drilled to patience by long habit. The daughter had lived peacefully hitherto among peaceful people in a distant place. Her gifts, such as they were, had come to her from nature not from that cruel second nature which is the experience of life. "'Well, then, I'm tired,' said Mrs. Marney, laughing. "'I wonder you are not, Susie.' "'Ah, she don't want to sit and rest,' said Madame de Parc, who had come out for ten minutes' chat with her lodgers. "'My dear Madame, she won't demand stools or armchairs for thirty years to come. 
they are for decrepit old patraques like myself you madame what do you call me then said mrs marney smiling and looking very handsome i must beg that you polly will keep about long enough to see to your duties said marney by way of a joke or i shall have to look out for your successor my dear susanna's cheeks were burning her soft hazel eyes were looking indignation to hear her beloved beautiful mamma the goddess of her girlish imagination so spoken to filled her with strange intolerant anger she had scarcely known her stepfather until now and the more she knew him the more she shrank from him and his ways and his speeches her mother had always come alone to crossham where susie's early years had been passed with the kind old grandfather who was gone now sometimes mr marney had appeared for an hour to fetch his wife mr holcombe's old-fashioned dignity and distance had overawed him on these occasions susanna had been sorry for him he had seemed stiff and shy but more to his stepdaughter's fastidious taste than now when he was at home as people say and all restraint was gone susanna had been brought up in a somewhat rigid school she could have grown accustomed in time to his smoke his free and easy ways but what she could not get used to was the tone which he used to her mother her sweet beautiful mother for whose presence she had longed ever since she was a little child first parted from her side mary marney had always seemed like some angel to her young daughter susanna had inherited from mary herself a turn for hero worship a certain faith in those she loved which idealized them and made them more than mortal now she was living in a daily bewilderment it was but a few hours since she had first come and already a hundred doubts were in her mind she was not disappointed in her mother but she could not understand her she loved her more than she had ever done but she was not satisfied and she seemed to know her less is mamma happy she asked herself can she be happy ah now that i am come to her my love must make her happy this at least might be granted it seemed so little to ask for but that little was not in her life's conditions other and greater blessings might be susanna's but not this one she wanted all her mother's heart and there between them stood marney with his odious blinking handsome face his free and easy ways there scrambled the little boys with their wild heels and clamor there came the daily cares the hours crowded with sordid laborious tasks was this the life her mother had been leading all these years the life that had absorbed her so utterly poverty was nothing susie had been used to simple ways in her grandfather's house but these shifts these insincerities these unpaid-for luxuries the duns the bills the expedients which had never been dreamt of until now all these things were now to be a part of susie's daily experience all this was in her mind as she turned away from the group under the acacia tree there they sat there was the sky again all peaceful as if no ache existed beneath its color de rose End of section 4